This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. We continue our series, uh, Good News of Great Joy. Right? This is the last Sunday of Advent, and then we'll conclude Advent on Saturday together here at 4 o'clock p.m. Saturday, not Sunday. And for some, this week, it's, uh, it's prepared time. It is go time. Right? It's prepared time for Christmas dinner, Christmas party, uh, your work party, Christmas presents, and um, hopefully we're not making Christmas about these things alone, though there's nothing wrong with these things, but it's easy to prepare for the Christmas holiday versus reflecting on Christ's first coming. But regardless, there's likely some preparation involved this week, right? How we prepare, it matters. But we all prepare in different ways, right? Some of us have Excel sheets that are mandatory, in preparation, regardless of the event, I'll create an Excel sheet. But we're just going out for dinner. But some of us, well, we keep all that data internally in our mind, right? That's me. Which may mean that you're ex- expediting thawing your frozen turkey for Thanksgiving in the kitchen downstairs because you bought it a day late. But how we prepare, it matters. What we prepare for matters as well, right? It dictates how we prepare. When I'm preparing a sermon, there's a, a weight, a call to preach these words with boldness and accuracy and independence of the Spirit. I don't take my preparation in teaching God's Word lightly, including my joy. What we prepare for matters. When we prepare, we're trying to get to the outcome, most likely. But however, God doesn't prepare like us. When God prepares, the process is the preparation, which is included in the outcome. God prepares in a different way than us. God isn't uh, tight on time. God doesn't rush in preparation. God is perfect in preparation. How we prepare matters, and what we prepare for matters, right? And matters because God works in the preparation process. And as we look at Luke chapter 1, 57 through 80, we'll see in this text the hand of the Lord, the presence of God being with Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of their son, John, and his role in preparing for good news. And that's our title today, Preparing for Good News. And we'll see how God was working in the process, in the preparation for the arrival of his son, Jesus. So we've got four scenes. Let's look at the first scene here, the birth of a son. The birth of a son. Let's look at verses 57 through 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Well, we know in Luke that the angel appeared to Zechariah and said this in verse 13 and 14. Right? So do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Right? Zechariah didn't believe in the angel, and I was disciplined by God and wasn't able to speak or hear for the next nine months or so. And as baby John was being formed in the womb of Elizabeth, God was preparing Zechariah, building his faith through initial disbelief. Fulfillment arrives in these verses. However, 
Note that Zechariah and Elizabeth were told they'll bear a son. But so they still had to wait for the birth. Where the words of the angels were realized bit by bit. Elizabeth conceived, but they still had to wait to see if the child indeed would be a son. And verse 13 says, Zechariah was praying for this situation. And when the angel said, hey, your prayer has been heard. And this will happen. Zechariah then started questioning the angel. In verse 18, he says, how shall I know this? It's kind of like me praying for something and then getting direct confirmation by the angel of the Lord that it will happen. And then me questioning the angel, prove it. Give me some confirmation. It's almost like I need to know, know before I trust, trust. Right? God's work in our lives doesn't start with him giving us the knowledge of an outcome, but him asking us if we trust him in the process in spite of the outcome. That's how God prepares us. So let me ask, in what ways are we waiting for an outcome to trust God? In what ways are we waiting for an outcome to trust, trust God? This is what God was doing in Zechariah's life through his initial disbelief. God was preparing him for a greater faith. And Gabriel also promised rejoicing by neighbors and relatives at John's birth. And this was fulfilled as well in these verses. Why does this happen? Simply because of the mercy of the Lord. The Lord has magnified his mercy. And this is the same verb that Mary uses in in her song, my soul magnifies the Lord. And here the Lord is magnifying his mercy. His mercy cannot be constrained. He chooses to magnify for his glory. Let's look at our, the next scene here, the naming of John, the birth of a son, and now the naming of John. Let's look at verses 59 through 61. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise a child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. Stop right there. There's some uh, family drama here. There's some confusion here during the name of the newborn. Maybe I thought we just had this understanding. What's happening here? The relatives and the neighbors didn't understand the name because they weren't in the preparation for the name. This was a big deal because there's context in the name. And I kind of get it personally because my name wouldn't be my name if something out of the norm didn't happen, right? I'm kind of like the John in my family. Local pastor claims to be John the Baptist. Gets, that's not what I'm saying. See, within my Indian lineage, lineage, we've got a different naming system, okay? My dad's official name, I didn't think that he was going to be here, but he's here, so it's kind of awkward. Uh, <laughs> My dad's official name is Keringalil Samuel Philip, right? You don't have to say that when you see him, right? When I was a kid, I would pick up calls and be a telemarketer. They'd be like, is your dad Mr. Kedigachil? I don't know who you're talking about. He's not here. Click. (laughs) But my dad's dad's name is Keringalil Samuel Philip. My grandpa's official name 
is this. It's Kerengal G Verghese Samuel. That's 28 letters. It's almost a paragraph. <laughs> and his father's name started with Kerengal, and his father's name started with Kerengal. However, though, Kerengal comes first, this isn't their first name. It's their house name. And their middle name is the name of their father. And the name that comes last is actually their first name. Massive confusion everywhere. So my dad's name is Philip, so we can just call him Philip. So after my parents migrated here from India and experienced the difficulty of coming to a different naming system, and I was born here, so instead of my name being Keringalil Philip Robin, they just went with Robin Philip. Not even a middle name. Let's just go, let's just go with Robin Philip. See, the outcome of a name is different. But it's what happened in the between that led to that. My point is that when, what happens between is what eventually leads to an outcome. Right? And I feel at times we're in the between and passively waiting for an outcome to arrive versus seeking God and seeing his activity working in the between. God was working in the between in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life. He was preparing them for a greater purpose, even though it didn't look like it initially. But Luke doesn't tell us how Elizabeth knew John was the name designated, designated by Gabriel. However, Elizabeth speaking up and claiming her son's name will be John, meaning Yahweh has shown favor, is revealing her choice her choice of either following societal norms or being obedient to the angel of the Lord. And then when they all looked at the father, Zechariah, the crowd almost dismissed Elizabeth's response, right? And signs were made to Zechariah, which led us to believe that he, was able, he wasn't able to hear with being mute. So Zechariah hasn't heard the choice of the name of their son. Zechariah this time was ready to respond with faith. Unlike last time when the angel appeared, right? He was ready. He decided that his trust lands on what the angel of the Lord has spoken. Right? Zechariah didn't hold on to bitterness. He didn't hold on to pride. He didn't hold on to regret. Instead, Zechariah let God work through the process, which turned into literal praise. He too is showing where his trust lies, writing down the words, his name is John, is John. Now will be John, it is John. It's already been done, I believe. He doesn't ask a question. He claims the truth that was revealed by God. God gave him the opportunity to display the trust externally that God was working internally throughout this process and God received the glory. And immediately his mouth Open belief opened the mouth of Zechariah, just like Gabriel indicated. The blessing that he speaks at that moment is what we'll read in the next section, verses 67 and 69. But divine power was displayed in the moment, and when God works, this fear arose. The response of God's supernatural work ought to remind us of what is actually happening. Where the God of the universe is at work. And at times we rush past God's work in the process and focus on the result. 
So let me ask, in what areas are we rushing past God's work in our lives? Where is God trying to show you who he is? Don't rush past it. Let him work. And not feel good. It may not be great, but he's working for a greater purpose, a greater faith. In what areas are we rushing past God's work in our lives? The neighbors and relatives witnessed God's work and was convinced that God was actively present in these events and ended up asking the question, what will become of this child? What will become of this child? And this next section, Zechariah answers this question as he praises God. As Zechariah praises God, he regains his voice. And not only does he answer the question, but also declares that this signals the advent of the Messiah to deliver God's people. And the song as a whole is a declarative psalm of praise and is a spirit-inspired prophecy. Because it's a proclamation which is divided into two parts, the work of God, which he has done for deliverance, and part two, how God has begun to achieve this in his redemptive purpose, where he praises the Lord of Israel. Blessed be the Lord. Why? Because God has visited his people. A merciful visit is linked to the redemption to the past, present, and future. God's purpose in the Exodus will be accomplished through the Messiah. It refers to the coming of the Messiah through the house of David to accomplish his purpose. God raised up a horn of salvation, symbolizing strength and power. But strength and power not in a way that we expected. His strength looked different. His power was different. His way was different. A way of humbleness. A way of love. A way of mercy. Zechariah steps out of the narrative here. Right? This is kind of like Hamilton. Last week wasn't like Hamilton, but this is, I feel like this is kind of like more like Hamilton. And uh, he reflects on the faithfulness of God by looking backwards. So specifically to God's interaction with Israel. He looks back to the words of the prophets that pointed to the Messiah, to the ancestors, to Abraham. And he goes all the way back to God himself. God is the one who initiated his work, and he is the one to bring it to completion. The prophets, the law, all pointed back to God and his covenant that he has made to his people. Our promise is banked on the Lord, on him. But why? Why is he doing all of this? Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. To show the mercy promised. One commentary says it like this. Here we find the fundamental basis for God's behavior in any time. And it's surely significant that Jesus will later identify mercy as the primary motivation behind God's activity and as the basis for ethical behavior for the community of disciples. That's important. He later says, Jesus later says in Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Let's take it a step further. Why is God showing us mercy? 
Why is he showing us mercy? Why does God show this to us, this amount of compassion to us in our lives? What's the purpose of this? What does he want from us? What do we owe him? The purpose of the divine rescue through the Messiah is a, a continuation of the divine rescue of the Israelites out of Egypt. Exodus 7, 16 says, let my people go so that they may serve me. God desired his people to be freed so they may serve him. And it says it again here. Let's look at verse 74 and 75. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him. Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Redeemed people worship and serve. But that's the nature of redeemed people. Not being redeemed through good works or being good enough, but by the mercy of God shown ultimately on the cross. Right? Jesus didn't come to just deliver us, but to deliver us so that we may serve him. But not to serve him from a distance in fear, but to serve him in relationship with love. We get to do that. We get to serve him knowing that our righteousness, our status before God is not based on what we have done, but it's based on what Christ has done in his holiness and righteousness. Right? This is the theme of redemptive history to worship and serve the living and glorious God. And that's what exactly what Jesus did when he came. He came to serve his Father in heaven in obedience with grace and mercy, which eventually led him to die on the cross for the sake of our sins. Do you ever have those days at work or at home or on a day off where you just ask yourself, hey, what did I even do today, right? It can be a frightening question to answer truthfully. But it's either you have so much to do that you didn't get what you wanted to get done, or you had like one thing to get done, and you have so much time that you didn't get that thing done. Your complete, your complete day just feels like a waste. When you serve God, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted when you serve God. Not a second. Any time, any effort, any money, anything that you do for God to serve him is not wasted. You might never see the fruit or the result, but God sees it. And he will use it. What we're doing today is not a waste. What we did yesterday at the pantry, every role, not a waste. Serving on a missional team is not a waste. Serving one another is not a waste. Serving the living God is never wasted. He has freed us and saved us to do just that, to serve him. But not in fear and obligation, but in love and freedom. And there's so much joy in serving the Lord. It's one of the greatest joys that we can experience in our lives, serving the Lord in all of our days. Let me ask, does our redemption mark our lives in service to God? 
Does our redemption mark our lives with service to God? But not out of obligation, but out of relationship, out of a desire to show mercy to one another. We get to do that. John would prepare the way of Jesus by serving Jesus, by preparing for good news. And this would be the role of John, to serve the Messiah. Right? Zechariah transitioned by saying, and you, child, meaning his son John, right? John is called to, to prepare the way of Jesus as the angel declared it, as Malachi prophesied it, as Isaiah stated. John would prepare the way of Jesus by serving Jesus, by preparing for this good news. And this was the message John would proclaim. Let's look at verses 77 through 79. This is what John proclaimed. This was his role, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's visitation this time to his people would be in the form of the coming Messiah, the Most High. Zechariah is saying salvation is coming and is found in the Messiah, Jesus. Forgiveness is coming and is found in Jesus. The Messiah is coming, and my son gets to serve him by preaching his news. And again, we see the why. Because of the tender, compassionate mercy of God. Salvation is found in Jesus through faith because of God's gracious, tender, compassionate mercy. And the light is to come for those who are in darkness. Not for those who think they are in light, but to know they are in darkness because of their sin. For those who need a Savior. For those who are wanting a Savior. The advent of God's Son, Jesus, to bring light. To bring life to those who are in the shadow of death, he is to come to guide us in the way of peace, and not just regular peace, his peace, his peace. And that is the good news, the good news that Jesus came. Out of God's tender and great mercy, Jesus came. That's what this week should be about, his birth, that he came, that he actually came for us and lived a perfect and obedient life. And he showed us his strength and power. He showed us that his strength and power looked like washing the feet of his disciples on the way to the cross. That's the strength and power that he showed us. And he went to the cross being obedient to the Father and he died. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. And three days later, he rose, walked out of that tomb, proving that he is who he says he is, proving that you can trust him with your life, 
and he's with the Father in heaven, sitting next to him, waiting for his second coming. We'll look back at these words that we just read and know that he has accomplished it. And in our between, right now, we continue to prepare for his second coming as we reflect on the meaning of his first coming. We need to slow down and prepare and remember his first coming to help us understand his second second coming. For those who are in Christ, we continue to prepare him, prepare to meet him. But we continue to prepare to meet him face to face where there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more brokenness. And we prepare by remembering what he has done for us. We prepare by serving him the rest of our days. Not as a way to salvation, but because of our salvation due to his great and tender mercy. How we prepare matters. What we prepare for matters. And so I want to take the next few moments to get our alignment right for this week. And let the Holy Spirit guide us closer and closer to this light. I want us to prepare room in our hearts for the adoration of Jesus at his birth. I want us to use this time to Remove the other stuff that we don't need in there right now. I want to sit with what we've heard today. The manifestation of God's mercy is seen in the person of Jesus, right? His birth is good news to us. His life is good news to us. His death and resurrection is good news to us and ought to prepare how we live our lives, how we prepare for his second coming. And so before we jump into communion, I'm going to read the words from Zechariah, his prophecy once again. I want you to reflect on this. I want you to reflect on this. How has the mercy of God prepared you to live for God? How has the mercy of God prepared you to live for God? His great and tender mercy. New every morning. So I'll read Zechariah's prophecy one more time, and I ask you to just sit and hear these words from the Spirit. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us 
from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. His peace. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.